2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to see this important, pivotal event. I put in our social media this week, the Bible is 66 different books, but it's one story. It's a unified collection of books. God is the author of every single word that we have on these pages. He used human instruments, about 40 of them, to write these 66 books. But this isn't just some disjointed, disconnected set of, of letters and epistles and historical narratives. This is the record of God's reaching into history to draw people into a relationship with himself. And so since this book is a unified collection, then weaving its way all the way through is the theme of redemption. Even seems that you might think this is nothing but a historical account of something that happened. Many of them have a little element that points us to the cross where Jesus died. We're headed into the Easter season. We're in Lent now. And so this morning, I want us to look at this together. I'm going to make some comments as we read through this passage and then give you some lessons at the end. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning the first verse, the Bible says, Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, that's present-day Syria. So if you were looking at a map today, Aram would be where Syria is today. And he was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. He had leprosy. And so the opening comments here are that Naaman was an influential general. He went out leading the the armies of Aram into battle, and he was successful in those battles, not only in directing his soldiers, but you see the last uh, sentence of verse 1 says, he himself was a valiant warrior. We all know people whose spiritual gift is telling other people what to do. They, they like to serve only in an advisory capacity. But not Naaman. Naaman not only told soldiers, hey, we're, we're going out to battle. I am going to be with you. I will be swinging a sword. I will be using a spear. I will be riding a horse into battle. And so Naaman was a valiant warrior, but he had leprosy. Now, if he had been from Israel... He would have been isolated. You remember the Levitical laws required that anyone who had any form of leprosy isolate himself or herself from the community. It was a deadly contagious disease, wildly contagious. And so as a result of that, they would live outside city limits in little villages, leper colonies. And anytime someone happened to get near to them, they would begin crying out, unclean, unclean, so that people would know, wait a minute, I don't need to get too close. He or she has leprosy, and I need to stay away from that. But here in Syria, they did not have those Levitical laws. And so as long as he was able to function and carry out his duties, he was valuable to the king. And so the king said, you stay right on. You keep fighting for us. Verse 2 says, Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. They had captured this girl, brought her back home, and she was a housemaid in Naaman's home, particularly attending to his wife. She said to her mistress, in other words, the young Israelite girl, said to her mistress, 
If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. He's talking about Elisha here. And so the, the young handmaid said, There is a man in Israel who has healing powers. God is at work through him. And if only Naaman, oh, I just wish he would go back. I wish he humbly would go back to Israel and ask for this prophet. And he would be cleansed of this deadly disease. Verse 4 says, So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel said. Therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. Naaman heard this report. He went to his king and said, Look, there's, there's somebody in Israel who can heal me. There's someone from Israel who can make me clean. The king said, Well, I want you clean. I want you healed. I tell you what I will do. I will even write an official letter to send you back to Israel so that the, so that the king will, will expedite this, so he will make sure that you get in touch with this prophet. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. That, to me, is an interesting add-on. The gold and the silver is, would be worth about $6 million today. But just in case that wasn't enough, look at these ten robes that I brought you as well. So he brought the letter to the king of Israel, and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Recognize that he is only picking a fight with me. The king of Aram wrote the letter and said, Look, Naaman is a trusted servant. I'm sending him back to you because I would like you to heal him of this disease. Leprosy is going to kill him. It is a death sentence. There was no cure. So would you please heal him? The king read the letter, and as he did so, he, he did not have a favorable, favorable reaction. He did not say, well, of course, let me put him in touch with Elisha. He wasn't even thinking about Elisha. He just simply said, I see what the king of Aram is doing. He's defeated us before. He's just looking for another excuse to come fight us. He's going to say the king of Israel disrespected me and he did not heal my servant. Therefore, let's go back to battle. And so the king of Israel misinterpreted the letter. He thought the king of Aram only wants to fight again. You know people like that too. They aren't happy unless they are in some sort of conflict with somebody else. If there isn't trouble, they make trouble. They just aren't happy unless they are rubbing against someone. When I was in elementary school in West Point at Southside Elementary School, we had a boy who always liked to fight. Third, fourth, and fifth grade, he always wanted to fight somebody. He was bigger than everybody else. He enjoyed fighting. I'm not sure he was supposed to have still been in elementary school. He shaved. He had a wife and kids. He would go pick up after school. So I don't think he was supposed to still be with us, but he was. And he liked to fight. The king of Israel said the king of Aram likes to fight. And he's looking for an excuse. He wants to say, oh, you sent Naaman back and he wasn't healed. We're coming to attack you again. Then the Bible says in verse 8, 
When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. King, he doesn't want you. He wants me. So Naaman came to him with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry. Isn't that an interesting reaction? But Naaman got angry and left saying, I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the place, and cure this skin disease. Aren't Abana and Farpar, those are two rivers in the, in the Syrian area, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. Elisha, when Naaman arrived at his house, did not even go outside to see him himself. He did not step out onto his porch and say, Welcome, honored military leader. Elisha sent a servant outside, and that immediately irritated Naaman. That he was an important man, and, and Elisha sent a servant outside. That immediately set him off. But then the instructions were even more infuriating. Elisha did not come out and do some elaborate ceremony. He did not wave his hand over the place. He said, if you want to be clean, go down to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times in it. And when you come out the seventh time, you will be clean. You will be healed completely. Naaman didn't like that. He wanted something elaborate, and then he began to protest and say, the Jordan River? We've got rivers back in Syria that are much better than the Jordan River. Has anyone here ever been to the Holy Land? Anybody ever visited Israel? The Jordan River is not an impressive river. It's muddy. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't have a baptistry here, but sometimes in church buildings you might see a baptistry back behind, and, and sometimes there will be a painting of a river that symbolizes, in most of the time, the Jordan River where John the, Baptize, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. But the Jordan River isn't blue and pretty the way that you see in the baptistry pictures. It's muddy. It's kind of like the Mississippi River. You know, in Mississippi, we say, hey, we may be 50th in a lot of things, but we're first in rivers. There isn't any river in the United States more prominent than the Mississippi River until you look at it. It's muddy. It isn't crystal clear blue. I went to seminary in, in New Orleans, and when I would look at the Mississippi River, it seemed like it was a mile all the way across to the other side, and you would just see brown and garbage, animals floating down. It's not impressive. And Naaman said, he wants me to go dip myself in this dirty river. <laughs> I don't want to do it. He left in a rage. Verse 13 says, But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? If he had told you to come out and to, to 
cut your body or to, to do something elaborate, wouldn't you have taken drastic steps to be healed of this deadly disease? You're going to die. If he had told you to do something complicated or sacrificial or hard, wouldn't you have done any of that? Of course you would have. And so they said, if, if I were you, I would just go dip in that river. And that's what the Bible tells us the conversation was. How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. I love the vivid details of God's word. Because when Naaman dipped himself in the water, when he came out the seventh time, he did not just look and see that his skin no longer had leprosy. It was smooth like that of a baby. The healing was complete. Age is hard on skin. You get out in the sun and wrinkles start to come and sags start to come. People don't like to look old. That's why cosmetic surgery is so big. Now, look, if any of you are considering some cosmetic surgery, I invite you to take, some, take a look at some pictures of Kenny Rogers before he passed away. They messed that man up. And so don't get out there and just let somebody start cutting on your face. When Naaman came out of the water the seventh time, he wasn't just healed of leprosy. He was made brand new. I wonder what the conversation was with his wife when he returned home. Honey, you're going to have to make some improvements. Look at me now. I'm brand new. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you need to go. Hey, go dip in the Jordan about 14 times so that you'll come on back and look a little better. The healing was total and complete. Let me share some cross lessons from this passage. First, each of us is inflicted with the leprosy of sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is a universal death sentence. We each are infected with it. And just as was the case in Naaman's leprosy, there is no cure. No doctor, no psychologist, no minister, nothing, no medicine. Nothing is able to cure the infection of sin in our lives. Sin is a death sentence. Every man, woman, college student, teenager, boy and girl on this planet is infected with sin and will die. And without some intervention, will face eternal judgment. The first half of Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says... For the wages of sin is death. The name in this passage is Naaman. But we can put our names in that story. 
we can put Gary in your name and your name and your name. We are all infected with something from which we cannot be cured except from a man from Israel. Do you remember what the servant girl said to Naaman's wife? There is a man from Israel. There is a Jewish man who can cure Naaman. If he would just go see him, then he could be made clean. And the same is true for us. There is a man from Israel who can heal us. There's a man from Israel who can do what we cannot do. There is a man from Israel who steps into history to say the sin from which they cannot be cured, I will take it. I will suffer the punishment for their sin so that they can be healed, so that they can be cleansed, so that they can be forgiven. This message of the gospel that we Christians preach all around the world is a very simple message, isn't it? Elisha sent a servant outside to tell Naaman, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. A humbling act. And Naaman was offended by that act. He thought, no, 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 no. I want to do something elaborate. I I want to do something significant and great. I want there to be something dramatic and powerful. I, I want something bigger than this. And Elisha said, nope. Go dip in that river seven times. Isn't the message of the good news very simple? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. I did not say the gospel message is easy. It isn't easy, but it is very simple. And just as Naaman was, many people are offended by that message. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul wrote and said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to some people, And it is a stumbling block to others. There are plenty of people who say, no, 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 I don't want to confess that I need a Savior. I want to be able to earn my way into heaven. I'm very sophisticated. I'm very moral. I'm very do-gooding. And so as a result of that, I I don't need to humble myself and receive a Savior crucified for me. I simply want to do something grand. I want to stack up enough good works, and that, that stack of good works is going to earn me into heaven. And God says, no, it won't. Some people, I've had this happen before, and I'm certain you have too. Some people, when they hear the good news, based upon the level of their sin or some other reason, they exclaim, it can't be that simple. You're saying that I simply place my faith in Jesus and surrender my life to him. That's it. That's all. And we respond, that's exactly what we're saying. That a simple faith in Jesus cleanses us from the infection of sin. People can't believe, is it really that easy? Is it really that simple of a decision? 
maybe two summers ago, I was speaking at a youth camp, and I noticed this boy who constantly was adjusting his hat. He, he constantly was making sure, pulling it down. We were doing recreation outside, and he constantly was working with his hat. I had met him earlier in the week, and I walked up to him and asked him, you know, what's, what's going on with your hat? Is it too big? What, you know, why do you keep adjusting it? And he said, they put gum in my hair last night. He said, I was the first one to go to sleep, and somebody chewed this big wad of gum and stuck it in my hair, and now it's in there, and I'm embarrassed. I don't want people to see it. And so he pulled his little hat off, and he had gum right back here, and he must have been sleeping on this side. And I said to him, you know if you'll put peanut butter on there, it'll get that gum out. He said, no, it won't. I said, yes, it will. He thought, that I, he thought that I was going to make matters worse. He thought that I was going to add peanut butter to the, the gum wad that he had in his hair. And so he said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, the, that evening, after, after free time in the afternoon, he came into dinner, and there was no hat on his head. I said, what happened? He said, peanut butter. He couldn't believe it. He, he, he did not believe the message. This will take care of the problem that you have. And the cross of Jesus Christ takes care of the sin problem that we have. There's a man from Israel who can heal us. The third lesson is that when Jesus does his work in our lives, the cleansing is complete and whole. Just as Naaman had skin like that of a little baby, smooth, no scars, no wrinkles. When Jesus cleanses us, he, he cleanses us completely. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from, does anybody know the next word? All unrighteousness not some of it not most of it not nearly all of it Jesus doesn't say when I look I'm going to take care of these light little issues here and and we've got we're going to clean these areas up but you have some sins that are so morally bankrupt I just don't know what we're going to do about those he cleanses us from all unrighteousness Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19 and 20 are some of my favorite verses in all of scripture Micah speaking to the downtrodden Jewish people said here's what God will do with your sins. He will take them and he will hurl them into the deepest part of the ocean. Do you know that marine biologists don't even know what the floor of the ocean looks like? The pressure is so great as they try to go down there explore. Now, they can send some equipment, but the ocean's really big. They are confident that perhaps there are some species that we've never known, that we don't even know exist on the earth because the bottom of the ocean is such a mystery. That's where God says he puts our sins. Not here on a shelf so that he can bring them out. He hurls them into the deepest part of the sea. And then Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Think about our globe. If you sail from the equator north you move from the equator and you are sailing north sailing north sailing north when you get to the north pole and you start sailing on the other side which direction are you going south if you sail from the equator down to the south pole 
and you start making your way down, making your way down, and you get to the South Pole there at Antarctica, and then you start coming back up, which direction are you sailing? North. North and South meet at the North Pole and the South Pole. When you were going one, you, go, you were going the other. But if you get on the equator and you start sailing east, at what point do you start sailing west? Never. You just keep going east and east and east. And the same is true with the west. God did not say, I have removed your sins from you as far as the north is from the south. Because they meet. The east and west never do. God's cleansing. His saving work. Is complete. The way that Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says it is. He saves us to the uttermost. To the infinite degree, God makes us clean and whole. We're in the Easter season and we observe communion together to symbolize what Jesus did for us. On the evening that Jesus was crucified, all of his disciples gathered around a table. I may have explained this to you before, but back in Bible times... People did not sit at a table to eat the way that you and I do. We don't, you know, they did not have chairs and sit down at a large dining room table or something like that. They had a table that was nearer to the ground. In fact, it would have been about the, you know, the height of uh, one of these pews here right about there. And the way that the people would eat, especially if it were a large crowd, they would prop themselves up on an elbow so that they could be near the table and they would eat with, with one hand and, and use their other arm as the way that they were propped up near the table. That's how Jesus was able to wash the disciples' feet. You know, you, you kind of have this picture of, well, if they're all sitting around this big table, did Jesus, you know, climb underneath the table? What did he do? Well, they were, they were all with their feet stretched outward, and so that's how Jesus was able to do so. Then Jesus... As the evening grew more somber, in fact, the disciples even noticed it. They noticed something has changed here. Something, something has, a switch has flipped. And Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. John even recorded this detail that it was night. He's using the, the contrast between light and darkness. And Jesus said, tomorrow, men... What I've told you about for three years is going to happen. I told you that I came to seek and to save the lost. And tomorrow I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. And I want you to have something to remember this act of sacrifice by. And so they had a single loaf of bread. And as Jesus passed it around the table, he said, everybody take some. I like that we have a loaf of bread for communion because it gets ragged and rough. It's torn. And Jesus said, I want you to remember that my body is going to be torn. They're, they're going to whip it with whips. They're going to drive spikes into my hands and feet. They are going to pierce me with swords. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head. Crucifixion wasn't sanitary, it wasn't clean, it wasn't, 
it wasn't um, a uniform act. Jesus' body was ripped just as this bread was. And Jesus said, I want you, every time you take communion, every time you observe this meal, I want you to think about how my body was broken for you. And then Jesus took a single cup like the one that we have here and he passed it around to everyone in the room and said, drink it. When you see my body tomorrow, blood is going to be pouring out of it. And that blood will be purchasing the forgiveness of your sins. There is power in the blood. Jesus said, so observe this. Observe it regularly. And when you do, remember what I've done for you.